Heavenly Father, now as we um, quiet our hearts before you, we need the Holy Spirit's help to understand the truths that are before us. Help us, Lord, as we read and reflect and think. Would you guide our thoughts and uh, help us to take our thoughts captive and focus to get the most that we can from this time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, do you have a life verse, a verse from the Bible that is kind of very significant for you, that resonates with your soul, or maybe an overarching theme? You know, I've always liked Acts chapter 20, verse 24, that says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me, if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. I just love the Apostle Paul's thought there, um, inspired by the Holy Spirit, just kind of catches my heart. I've just for 35 years, I've loved that verse. I also love 2 Timothy 1.7, for God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and sound mind. Amen. Philippians 1.6, I mean, it's hard to choose, right? Philippians 1.6, I'm confident of this one thing, that he who began a good work in you, he will finish that work all the way to the end. I mean, these are just scriptures that just really um, touch our hearts. What about a favorite psalm? you have a favorite psalm? Why don't you shout out one of your favorite psalms? 91, and that's a winner. That is my favorite song right away. Now listen to these words it opens with. Listen to this. Are there more beautiful words anywhere in the world than these words? He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Come on. That's your favorite verse. Admit it right now. Amen? Amen? That's going to be my birthday in three hours. Come on. Get with it here. Now, King David may have had a favorite psalm because his life is going to close with 50 verses of a psalm that one of the psalms that the Holy Spirit had given him, one of the songs that he sang is going to be looked at at the end of his life. And it's really Psalm 18, but it appears here in the 22nd chapter of 2 Samuel. So David's incredible life is coming to a close after serving the Lord and reigning as Israel's king for like 40 years, a man after God's own heart. And so out of the 73 Psalms that are attributed to David, there appears to be this one that really sums up his life because he, he kind of ends everything, uh, including it. So I say that because here we go with Psalm 18 with minor variations. So scholars say this about this psalm appearing in the 22nd chapter, that the 22nd chapter version is the original. And there are minor variations to Psalm 18, which comes later. And they say that because uh, Psalm 18 was arranged to be sung. And so there were some minor uh, variations made. And so it's very telling to uh, look at a life like King David, see his life closing out, and then to hear his song 
This is, this is my song. This is my life psalm. This is what my life was all about. And when you think of how important King David is and was, and what kind of life a man after God's own heart uh, is very telling. I want to I wanna hear what made him tick. I mean, a, a song composed by somebody is going to tell you a lot about that person. So we're going to take a, a look at that uh, and what a broad spectrum of a life, too. Trouble at home, from sheep pen to palace, wonderful honors, blessing, uh, loved and adored, but betrayed and hated, and mountaintop and valley experiences. And he says, you know what, folks, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sum up it, my whole life experience with God with one song, and here it is. It starts verse one through four. David saying to the Lord, the words of this song, when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all of his enemies and from the hand of Saul, he said, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation. That's a nice idiom for my power. He is my stronghold, my refuge, my savior. From violent men you save me. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I am saved from my enemies. And so, first of all, I want you to see that his song is a God-centered song or a God-centered life. He's saying, in essence, this, this is who he is to me. This is a song about the Lord. He is my savior. He's really saying, I've lived my life with this unshakable confidence because my whole life has been the object of God's protection. And what a confidence, what a base, what a foundation from which to live. My soul is secure, and from that assurance rises a rich and abundant life. You know, so the first thing I want to say is that trust in God is the key to a blessed life. I like what one writer said, when all fear is eliminated, when all anxiety ceases, we can get on with the business of living and loving and serving God. He opens up and says, listen, I got God. God has me. Let's move forward. Let's get it done. There are eight metaphors here. My rock-like God, and that has been a, a a favorite of the psalmist to call God their rock. The rock, the unmovable anchor, the fortress, safe under attack, deliverer, the one who sets free, refuge, a hiding place in trouble, shield, the protective force field, if you will, salvation, an overall well-being of my soul, the stronghold, enduring strength, my savior, the dependable rescuer. I mean, we just start the song and there are eight titles for God and it's all about being confident in him because he is the object of God's great protection. It's kind of David's logic is this. If the Lord is my shepherd, Psalm 23, then what am I going to be lacking? I can lack nothing. If God is the one responsible to feed me and care for me and watch out after me and to lead me into green pastures and to make sure I'm safe from the enemy, if, if his role is shepherd and he's God, what do I have to worry about? 
And it's from this confidence that he can live a blessed life. You cannot live a blessed life if you don't have that kind of confidence in God. It makes all the difference in the world. The Lord Jesus tries to instill this very confidence in his followers because apart from trusting God, you cannot have the peace and the joy and the confidence. You can't be who God wants you to be. You'll never reach your fullest potential if your trust in God is wavering. He starts out with eight metaphors. He says, this is who God is to me. It's not just a a, a title, it's a personal experience. It's more than theory. It's more than head knowledge. Everybody in here would say, yeah, I know God is this, God is that, but is he your rock? Is he your fortress? Do you live like you have a rock, like God? So Jesus tries to say, listen, you don't have to worry about your physical needs. Take a look at the birds and the grass of the field. God takes pretty good care of them. And, and so you don't need to be running around chasing those things with the same kinds of worries, agendas, and anxieties with, with, which the world has. You just don't have to do it. You have a God in heaven, a father. If, what father among you, if the kid is asking for a loaf of bread, would give him a stone? So he's trying to say, listen, let the worries of this life go and let your heart be free to serve the Lord, to receive his love, and to be all that God wants you to be. Uh, No need to worry about physical things. No need to be afraid about your physical life. Don't be afraid of those who could kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Nothing can separate us from God's love. John 6, Jesus says, listen, the, the Father has a will, and here's his will, that I lose none of all those he's given me, but raise them up on the last day. Over and over again, and just trying to convince the Christian, you've got God. God has you. Can we move forward and let all of that other stuff go because you have God as your rock, your your refuge, your shield, your salvation, your power, your strength, your life. That's what this song is about. It's just with the big questions about life, are all, when they're all answered, we're free to enjoy God and be used for his good pleasure. But when you're unsure, you're unproductive uh, because you're distracted and you're missing out on God's best. So he says, I'm my beloved, he is mine, his banner over me is love. And that head knowledge has worked its way into David's heart and from the abundance of his heart, his lips sing. And so he gets it. So by the way, notice David's attitude where his mind is drawn at the end of his life. All right, he could have been singing in those opening four verses. Oh, nobody knows the troubles I've seen, right? Listen, I've seen giants and I've seen Philistines and I've had a crazy king chasing me for more than a decade. I've gotten into some trouble, adultery, family tragedies, death in the family. He could have been writing like a country song, you know, woe is me, everything has gone wrong. But instead, here's how he starts out. He starts out, uh, it was a life, my life, where God constantly took care of me and showed himself strong on my behalf. He never let me down. He was always, here's what the opening verses are saying. 
God has always parted the seas for me. He's always holding back the flood. He was always making a way where there was no way. He was always lifting me up, restoring my soul, bailing me out, coming to my aid, giving me grace, forgiving my sin, defending my honor, righting my wrongs, and coming through for me. That's the theme of his life. It could have been very different. It's all about attitude. I love Charles Swindoll's little uh, poem. It's not really a poem. It's a little thing about attitude. It's pretty famous. The longer I live, he wrote, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more, than, more important than facts. It is more important than the past, than education, than money, than circumstances, than failures, than successes than what other people think, say, or do. It's more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. It will make or break a company, a church, or a home. The remarkable thing is we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we embrace for that day. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play the one string we have, and that is our attitude. I'm convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. And so it is with you. We are in charge of our attitudes. David says, my life has been about the wonderful intervention of God on my behalf in every last detail of my life. That's his attitude. That's where his mind goes. I can make a list a mile long of negative things from his life. But he says, I want to sing a song about how God rescued me all my life and bailed me out the whole way and made a way where there was no way. That's my attitude. It's not woe is me. It's praise God. Look at his hand in my life. I like what one pastor said. Negative Christians are notoriously self-absorbed who deplete their energy and joy by focusing on their sorrows instead of seeing God's gracious hand. Be like David. Sing your song for God. Sing your song for God, seeing his gracious hand instead of all of the problems. Amen? Amen. So he wants to tell the world, this is who he is to me. He's my rock, my confidence. The song continues. The waves of death swirled about me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I called out to my God. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came to his ears. The earth trembled and quaked. The foundations of the heavens shook. They trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils, consuming fire from his mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his canopy around him. The dark rain clouds of the sky out of the brightness of his presence. Bolts of lightning blazed forth. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot arrows and scattered the enemies, bolts of lightning and routed them. The valleys of the sea were exposed and the foundations of the earth laid bare at the rebuke of the Lord, the blast of breath from his nostrils. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. 
He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. So now he says, first he said, this is who he is to me. He's my rock. That's why I have confidence to live my life. And secondly, now he says, this is what he's done for me. This is why I'm thankful and grateful. I've got a God who has done this for me. So really, David is asking for permission to boast. And as Paul wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, quoting from Jeremiah, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so here we go again, a God-centered life. This is all you want to sing about? The Lord, the Lord, the Lord. This is what he means to me. This is what he's done. And so he's saying, you know, anything good that's happened in my rescue, he says, I owe it all to the Lord. Now, again, the the song could have different lyrics, couldn't it? It could have said, you know, I killed me a giant with a slingshot. You know, he could have started out saying, I ripped apart wild animals with my bare hands to attack the sheep. All the ladies love me. Well, they did. I rescued Israel from the Philistines. I outwitted and outlasted King Saul, and he did. But he doesn't see it that way. He says, you know what, you may say, you may be able to say, I did this, I did that. You know, everybody in this room could say, I did this, I did that. I planted a church, I started business, I I have this marriage, I have that, I have this thing, I have, have this degree. That's not how David thinks. He says, in every achievement, in every success, in every victory, in every way that I've ever gained, it's the grace of God because I am helpless. It's God in my life who gets the glory for all of these things. I'm desperate, weak, and powerless. Verses 5 through 19 just shows that God has to get the glory. So in verses 5 and 6, David's life wasn't really together. Now, now notice this. Bible heroes' lives are rarely together. It's a normative part of walking with God to have a life that has seasons of chaos and trouble. That's normal. It doesn't mean you're, 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 uh, uh, you have a lack of faith or that you're sinning necessarily. So he says, the waves of death swirled around me. Torrents of destruction overwhelm. Cords of the grave coiled around. You could just picture it. Snares of death confronted me. So he's saying danger and difficulty has always been a part of my life, and it will always be a part of your life as well. Nobody's life is stress-free, exempt from trials and tribulation. It's as if he's saying, at times I was overwhelmed, seriously in a jam, ambushed, surprised, overtaken. I didn't see it coming. I was trapped. I was pushed into a corner with challenges, drowning in drama, terrified by storms and threat. And so That's what I felt like. Number two, in verse seven, here's what I did. I called to the Lord. I cried out to my God. And here's what happened. Verses eight through 19, what a beautiful picture. And he's really trying to get through to our hearts because none of us really accept the truth of verses eight through 19 very easily. He was on his throne. He heard me and all heaven broke loose on my behalf. When that cry of mine, touched the ears of the Almighty, he went crazy trying to help me. The spiritual application 
is that we serve a God who's not disinterested, but passionately engaged to response every single time you're in distress, you call out to him. He's the same way. He responds fast and furiously when called upon because his child is in danger. God as father has a holy anger toward that which threatens his children. God as father is quick to respond to his endangered son or daughter. So he's saying, when the waters of my problems come up to my nostrils, and I'm bare, I'm, I just call out in a panic, God, save me. Sorry, I was drowning. All right. And he says, verses 8 through 19 showcase, listen, the emotional reaction of the heart of God your Father when you're in a jam and you cry out. Now, the thing that we have a hard time with is believing that this could actually be God's response when you're in a jam and you're praying. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, you know what? He heard me. I just felt overwhelmed. I cried out, God, save me. The earth shook, verse 8. The foundations of the heavens, the stars, moon, and the, the, the sun, moon, and the stars moved in their places Smoke from his nostrils. I just love that picture. Fire coming out of his mouth. Bolts of lightning, verse 13. Peals of thunder, verse 14. The sky splits open, verse 10. I love riding the winged creatures of heaven because he's moving faster than the speed of light to get to his child. This is the picture David is painting. And then you have God Almighty shooting the arrows at the threat that has come your way that's causing you to call out to him in distress. He's saying that coming when? In a delay? No delay. Is he coming like, oh, well, you know, hold on. I'll get to you in time. You don't got six billion people to worry about. Look at this picture. It's a picture of a man who knows the heart of God. It doesn't matter to him what it looks like the next morning. He can see past that. He's a man of faith. He knows, I know the heart of God. I know that when I'm in distress and I call to my Father in heaven, knowing who he is, I know how he's responding to me. Whether there's an immediate change or not, whether I feel like anything's happening or not, this is the reality of when I'm in distress and I cry out to my Father, this is what's going on in his heart. This is what's going on in the heavenlies. When I'm in trouble, he hears my cry. He'll move heaven and earth to get to me, and nothing can stop him. That is what these verses are highlighting. And you say, and I say, oh, if only God could do that for me. If only God cared like that when I cried out in distress. Here's the problem. Here's the difference between you and David. Faith. David doesn't need to see it change. He spent 11 years running from Saul, crying out. The picture's the same for David. He knows in those 11 years, that picture of God's burning coals of uh, compassion to rescue him was happening. But God is working on a timetable. David's not afraid to wait the 11 years. He says, I know his heart. He didn't forget about me. You know, Jesus gets a distress call. And he doesn't go right away, but his heart is burning. He gets a distress call from the sisters, Mary and Martha. 
And he says, okay, lightning, thunder, the earth is moving in a way far above what you could ask or think, Mary and Martha. Because I'm going to do something way better than what you want. You want me to just keep him from dying. I'm going to let him die and then I'm going to raise him from the dead. Yeah. Our problem is he shows up a little late or, you know, I don't feel any different in the morning. The problem's still there. Where are you, God? David doesn't have that problem. He says, God, help is on the way. David didn't always see quick results, nor did he have instant victories, but he knew the heart of God that was always standing ready to rescue him. David knew the moment he cried out, he was heard by the Most High, and that help was on the way. God is feverishly working and acting and responding on David's behalf, no matter what the circumstances look like the next day. Have you called out in distress to the Lord? Help is on the way. The coals fired up, the cherubim flying, the heavens shaken, the earth quake. That's as hard for you. If only we could grasp that continuing on. Verse 20, he brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me. Now, this is a tremendous paragraph. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he has rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord. I have not done evil by turning from my God. All his laws are before me. I have not turned away from his decrees. I have been blameless before him and have kept myself from sin. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness in his sight. According to my cleanness in his sight. To the faithful, you show yourself faithful. To the blameless, you show yourself blameless. To the pure, you show yourself pure. But to the crooked, you show yourself shrewd. You save the humble, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them low. You are my lamp, O Lord. The Lord turns my darkness into light. Okay, so he said, first, this is who he is to me, my rock, my confidence. Secondly, this is what he does for me, gets me out of jams my whole entire life. Uh, and that's where my gratitude is. And now, this is why he does it. He likes me. He delights in me. I'm his favorite. He thinks the world of me. That's amazing. I walk with him. I obey his commands. Now, what he's saying is there are perks to belonging to God and walking in his way. David's plea was really rooted in relationship. This is important. He just doesn't cry out because he's in crisis, like a lot of crisis Christianity. You know, we call out and we're really on our good behavior and we pray and we get close to God when we're in trouble. You know what? This is born out of a relationship with God and he cries out, not just a desire to survive. Now, David understands what grace is because grace is an Old Testament idea. Noah finds favor. He finds grace. And Abraham, listen, Abraham, Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. Abraham believes in God. And God credits that as being right with him, as righteousness. So in order to understand how David could say, hey, the, you know why he loves me? You know why he's furious about coming down here and saving me all the time? Because he loves me and he's rewarding me for my righteousness. Now, how in the world could David be saying the things that he's saying? Well, it's called imputed righteousness. Imputed means to be gifted something that wasn't, intrinsically yours okay so so god gives us righteousness because we believe in him 
In 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. Christ is our righteousness, but when you hear the word righteous, you should think of right with God. To be put right with God is the biblical understanding of righteousness. And so David gets it. I walk with God. I confess my sins. I'm, a, I'm atoned for. My sins are gone. That's the blessing of the atonement. He's the one who wrote blessed and happy is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him. And he says, when I kept silent, I was in agony. But then I said, I will confess my sins to the Lord. And he forgave the guilt of my sin. He understands how this works. He says, compared and contrasting my life as a believer to the life of my enemies, I walk with God. I have kept his ways, verse 22. His laws are my delight. I haven't turned away. I have been blameless. I have been kept. I kept myself from sin, verse 24. These are all things that we can say. Listen to this. Walking with God isn't about sinless perfection. All of us sin, as did David. Rather, it's the bent of our lives that count. We walk with God faithfully. We confess our sins consistently. We repent of wrongdoing continually, and we're continually restored. We love and obey his commands and pray regularly. This is the life David is talking about that pleases God and brings rich reward. He says, I trust in God. I'm right with him. I walk with him. I'm covered by his grace. Well, come on, David. He's rewarding you for the cleanness of your hands. Asheba? Yeah, you know what? I can hear David say, excuse me, but Nathan, the prophet, told me from God, your sins have been taken away. You shall not die. The word there is atoned for. So David can see himself, listen, as God sees him. The secret to a blessed life is to be able to see yourself the way God sees you. That he can look at you and say, as he said to Jesus, when Jesus was being baptized, this is my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. That's how he thinks of you. You know what? Stop. Just stop. Because, you know, you can just let this beautiful moment pass without grasping it. That's the called the gospel. This is the gospel. That when he looks at us, he sees Jesus. Does that mean I could go out and do anything I want? God forbid. You don't really understand it. You don't get it if you, do, if you see it that way. But the good news is, is that when God looks at us and our sins are covered, he sees his son. He says, I'm pleased with you. I delight in you. So David says, my hands have been cleansed according to the cleansing. My hands have been washed because I, for, I have asked for forgiveness. And so according to the cleanness of my hands, because they've been cleansed by him, I belong to him. And he rescues me, delights in me. I've taken him up on his offer, and he's made me right with him. My hands are clean. He's cleansed them. My heart is his. He's filled it. My life is pleasing. He saved it, and he directs me with his light. There's a little 26 and 27. I like to paraphrase that. To those who are straight up with, with God, God is straight up with them. To those who play games with God, he'll beat them at their own game. 
because he's really good at winning games. <laughs> All right, and it says he'll bring the haughty low. Those who exalt themselves, he'll bring them down. And why does he do that? So that they can be saved. So even that. So let's finish up. Verse 30 to the end. Now he says, with your help, I can advance against a troop. With my God, I could scale a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. He's a shield for all those who take refuge in him. For who is God beside the Lord? And who is the rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to stand on the heights. He trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. You give me your shield of victory. You stoop down to make me great. You broaden the path beneath me so that my ankles do not turn. I pursued my enemies and crushed them. I did not turn back till they were all destroyed. I crushed them completely. They could not rise. They fell beneath my feet. You armed me with the strength for battle. You made my adversaries bow at my feet. You made my enemies turn their backs in flight, and I destroyed my foes. They cried for help, but there was no one to save them. To the Lord. But he didn't answer. I beat them as fine as the dust of the earth. I pounded and trampled them like mud in the streets. I love this guy. 44. <clears throat> you have delivered me from the attacks of my people. You have preserved me as the head of nations. People I didn't know are subject to me. And foreigners come cringing to me. As soon as they hear me, they obey me. They all lose heart. They come trembling from their strongholds. The Lord lives. Praise be to my rock. Exalted be God, the rock, my Savior. He is the God who avenges me, who puts the nations under me, who sets me free from my enemies. You, you exalted me above my foes from violent men. You rescued me. Therefore, I will praise you, O Lord. Among the nations, I will sing praises to your name. He gives his king great victories. He shows unfailing kindness to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. A beautiful life song. So he said, number one, this is who he is to me, my rock, and I live in this beautiful confidence. Number two, this is what he does for me. He just bails me out of all my troubles. And why does he do that, number three? Because he likes me. I'm his. He delights in me. And number four, finally, he says, this is what God does through me. This is what my potential is with this kind of God living and working in my heart and life. When I'm walking with God in God's plan, there's no stopping me and there's nothing I can't do. Philippians 4 and verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now, notice the elaborate details and it sounds a bit much to our ears about the complete and utter destruction of the enemies. How there's just, there's the pounding into the mud and there's a complete annihilation and there's just no hope. That serves to just show how thorough God's victory works in us and through us. The application is this, I have whatever it takes to utterly conquer every challenge God has allowed my way. The, the action verbs in this paragraph that we just read are legion, enables me, empowers me, strengthens me, 
stabilizes me, shields me, destines me for greatness, fights for me, honors me, and avenges me. If God is for us, who could be against us? Let me tell you about raw potential of having God in your life, David is saying. I can face any battle. I can scale any wall. I could defeat any challenge. How about you? 100-foot wall in your marriage. 100 feet. You're going to have to get a running start. Have you seen that new show, the um, A Lot of Obstacle Courses? What is it called? Thank you. <laughs> so American Ninja Warrior. And there's, a, there's a, a, a wall, concave wall, that they have to, at that very end, when they're totally spent, I don't know how many feet, but it's just a miracle anybody could reach up that high. He's saying, listen, there's no wall that I can't scale because of God's power. What wall is in your life? We all got walls. How about a 10,000 mile wide gap in a relationship with a child? This is what he's saying. He's saying, he's the Lord. Nothing's too difficult. I don't care what it is. He says, is it a mountain of debt? Is it a slippery slope of temptation? Your ankles will be strengthened because no temptation has seized you except that which is common to everybody. And God is faithful with that temptation. He is faithful to provide for you a way to stand up under it and to provide a way of escape for you. Army of demons bent on your destruction. Famine, flood, tornadoes. He says, listen, everything set against me will fail. Every hindrance will fall. All opposition will bow. It is our legacy from God. Everybody born of God overcomes the world. First John chapter four, 5, verse 4. Everyone born of God, if you're born again, you will overcome ultimately everything. Exactly what he's talking about. You will stand victorious at the end. It just wonderful. And he breaks into this praise. And he says, the Lord lives. Praise be to my rock. Exalted be God, the rock, my savior. Great victories, astounding deliverances, unfailing kindness. And what did our Lord Jesus say to us? The same thing. He said, listen, guys, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, I want to see a mustard seed. So I went and I looked at a grocery store and I got some mustard seeds. They're tiny. They go under your fingernail. That's how little they are. He said, if you had that much faith, you could look at that mountain and say, get up and be removed into the ocean. He's talking about a mountainous problem. He said, all you need is that much faith. Or you could say to this mulberry tree with the big roots, be uprooted, a big, nasty, rooted problem. He said, if you just had this much faith, that's what you need. That's what he said, Matthew 17 and verse 20. The problem with those promises is that they've been twisted to mean that you have some sort of carte blanche to go and have this power and this faith to work out your agenda for personal gain. That's not at all what it means. It's not a promise to give you unmitigated powers to advance yourself and to prosper, but rather, listen, unlimited power through simple faith to comply with God's will and obey his word and advance his cause. So he's given us the power, if we'll use a little bit of faith, 
to advance his kingdom and to be who God is calling us to be. So in other words, if he says, I want you to be holy, and you're like, I cannot, yeah, a little bit of faith, that big mountain of problems. Power is available to do his will, to advance his cause, not so much to uh, make your uh, happiness a reality. In other words, and with this I bring my remarks to a close, when God has called you to resist temptation, you can. When God has said, you know, this lifestyle isn't working, you need to change it, you can. When he's called you to walk on water, you can. Peter says, Lord, if, if you tell me to do this thing, then I could do it, even if it's supernatural. So the Lord says, do it, come. If God's telling you something, no matter how big and nasty and rooted it is, he says, all you need is a little faith. When he calls you to overcome your great fear, you will. You can. Do you want to? I mean, that's the other question he asked, isn't it? He asked the guy who was laying at the pool of Shalom, do you really want to get better? The rhetorical question, it means, listen, you like being lame. It serves you somehow. You've kind of gotten used to this little weak thing you do. That's up to you and to me. He says, the power is available. Do you want to get rid of the fear? Do you want to be good stewards? Do you want to get out of debt? Really, do you really want to get out of debt? Do you really want to get out of debt? He says, you can. Do you want to forgive and forget? You can. Do you want to be, have a healthy, loving marriage where one doesn't exist? You can. That's the message of the song. My God, my rock. Nothing's too hard for him. This is who he is to me. This is what he's done for me. This is why he's done it. And this is what he can do through me. God is for us. Who could be against us? In other words, when there's an obstacle to God's will for your life, and there usually is, use a little faith and you'll see it thoroughly removed.